Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the world's best podcast. Today, we have Jeffrey Wolf, also known as the Flexi Bull, the man with the best name on Instagram. Jeff, if you know him, you know he's a big, strong guy with big jack quads, and he's also very flexible. So the Flexi Bull works well. Today, we did a deep dive into all things stretching and flexibility. I've spent a lot of time, a lot of years, a ton of money, a lot of money, too much, on diving into the worlds and researching the worlds of, of stretching and flexibility. And I haven't always loved what I've found, to be honest. I've often come out frustrated out of, out of it because of usually the reductionist nature and people's thinking in those worlds where it's just like, okay, this muscle is tight, just stretch it. You have pain in, in X area. It's because of this one tight muscle and it's, it's very reductionist and I don't tend to like the theory behind it and the practical application behind it either. But this conversation is different. I haven't had too many conversations with, with intelligent people in those worlds. I have had some, but not too many. But Jeff is different. He's not dogmatic. He's very intelligent. He's interested in both the theory and the practical aspects of it. He's willing to have a conversation and he gets results as well with people. So it's nice to, it's nice to talk to someone and just break things down. And I think you're really going to like it. Jeff dives into his background in the world of coaching, different systems that he's been been through, his experiences with knees over toes guy and ATG and many others. And yeah, the one thing to note is that my audio is a little bit dodgy for the beginning. It was one of our first podcasts that we recorded and my microphone was acting up for some reason, but it gets better and better as we go along. And for the second half of the podcast, at least the audio is perfect. So you're just going to have to suck it up a little bit in the beginning, but it's worth it. And for the most part, it's just Jeff talking for the beginning anyway. So it's just me asking a question. That's where the audio is a little bit dodgy. I think you're really going to like the episode. I hope you like it. Please give us some love on Instagram if you do. And without further ado, here is Jeff the Flexi Bull. Thank you very much for, for joining us, Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. But um, we'll get into the, the big important question first. Where did the nickname come from or how did you come up with that? So the nickname, I was actually my, my tag on Instagram before the flexible was, was ring complex because I was doing an immense amount of gymnastic strength training at the time. And then when I met Ben and Derek and we kind of sat down and decided we were going to do the, the ATG online, we kind of were trying to come up with like, monikers for ourselves that fit us pretty well and also could be branded pretty well so obviously at that time you had atg which was the brand and sort of the umbrella and then when we started it was just me ben and derek it was only three of us and then connor came in later and derek was was mr infinity somebody had given him that nickname just i think his the whole thing was just his sustainability and fitness and the fact that he's like almost in his mid-40s and just and probably in better shape than most guys and and other things, uh, you know, for him, there's some, some other personal stuff like uh, with ones and eights and all these different kinds of things. But Ben was, was obviously the knees over toes guy because that was sort of his, his experience sort of rehabbing his knees from, from bad information earlier, you know, in his youth and earlier in his athletic career when, I mean, it's still being said, but, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't take your knees over his toes. And for him, his experience was that training that exact thing is, is what helped him. And then me, it was funny because I do more than this, but the, my contribution to ATG at the time primarily was the flexibility work. But we wanted something that 
I, I'm also kind of, I was also one of the bigger guys. Like I, you know, I've been and Derek are much taller than me, but I was a lot bigger. I, I said about 220, you know, and these guys like at six foot and these guys are like six, three, six, four, and they probably are at like 175, 180. So significant size difference. And I do a lot more traditional strength training. So flexi bull, just bull because a bull is big and, and whatever. And, and it worked with like flexible. So it's, yeah, it's just like a funny kind of branding mascot kind of weird name. And we just ran with it. And then uh, I just stuck with it. It rings and that's how I've, I've been known. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it works. It works. But you know, obviously then like you guys understood the value of branding then when you were sitting down, like it was going to be better than Jeff. <laughs> yeah yeah it's better than like ben jeff and Derek. you know <laughs> yeah it, it's, yes. it's like unless you're the three but even the three stooges like you know him as the three stooges you don't really know like you know like then if you know the three stooges you know it's like Harry, you know harry curly and mo or whatever the hell their names are but it's but it's still it's like the three stooges was more or less the brand right and yeah. they were the individuals so if i were to have a conversation and say oh harry curly and mo you'd be like i don't know what the hell you're talking about but if i was like oh the three stooges you go oh yeah of course you know or, yeah I never knew that was their their names, by the way. So, so yeah. Where do you stand with all the ATG stuff and and that now? Like, obviously, that was a big part of your journey, and you're not with them anymore. Yeah. But how long were you with them for? Uh, like three years, you know. Yeah. Um, and then prior to that, three years, like I I met Ben probably even a year prior to that, and I had some back and forth just like local networking as a, he, you know, I worked for a different gym at the time and I actually worked for a physical therapist when I met him I and mean, he had his own thing. And we exchanged some things very early on, just kind of back and forth on different ideas. Like myself and the girl I was working with at the time kind of introduced him to some of the gymnastics stuff and the flexibility work. And then he was showing us some more of the more intimate polyquin stuff that you can't really find in his books and in his courses. Like it's more stuff that you would have learned from him if you would have gone and trained with him in person. And so just shared kind of like industry stuff back and forth. And then I trained out of his gym probably a couple of days a week, even when I was working at the other gym, because it was so heavily gymnastics based. We didn't really have a lot for weight training and I still like doing that. So I would train at his day, his gym a couple of days a week, mostly for lower body and do weights and then, you know, upper body for the gymnastics stuff at, at my place. And, um, you know, basically just got into that because he was insanely impressed by my range of motion and the things that I was able to accomplish having that level of flexibility that obviously he didn't have a lot of experience with because one, a lot of guys, especially my size, don't have that. And two, it's still not something that's like commonly taught. And even more so it's commonly taught that it's, it's like a bad quality to have. So it was an interesting exchange initially, but now, I mean, everything's good. You know, we had typical business shit, you know, um, there was obviously a falling out towards the latter part of me leaving and the other guys leaving decisions were made and, and whatever. And, you know, things that I didn't necessarily agree with and <laughs> I've been pretty vocal about, but in recent time, you know, now we've kind of just squashed all that and diminished it. And just, I, I've kind of just come to the point where it is what it is and just move on and I'm doing my own thing. And really that's, that's kind of where we sit now. He's actually in town and we've talked back and forth about doing some things together. Just haven't got around to it or whatever. And he's actually training at Derek's gym. So um, why he's in town and yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like a friendly thing now, you know, but no real, you know, commitments or contributions to anything outside of just being yeah. buds, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it more, was I, it I feel more? Like that's how, I feel like that's how guys are, you know, guys, yeah. it's like, 
like women will just like stay mad forever and just like hold a chip on their shoulder forever. And guys, it's like, it's like schoolyard. You're like, you'll, you'll talk shit to each other for a little while and then you'll get in a fist fight. And then you're like that, you know, your friends again, you know, it's okay. just like, ever. I think it's just kind of how guys are. So, yeah, but there, it wasn't, it wasn't, I, I don't, I don't want to like pry into personal stuff, but it wasn't a disagreement with regards to like thoughts on training or anything like that. It was more, it was more the business side of things. Yeah. Fortunately, there was never really a lot of disagreement necessarily in the, I'll say in the actual training, I think things started getting delivered and presented and marketed in a way that I didn't think was tasteful or honest or just a bit sensationalized, which I understand like a lot of people, you kind of have to do that for marketing. I mean, I mean, I guess if you, if that's the mindset that you have, that's always going to be a response. Like I, I still think that you can do things with honesty and integrity and just be a little bit more straightforward about your methods and, and how you came to the conclusions on things. I'm not the kind of individual that likes to say, you should do this because I did it and it worked for me. I don't think that's a bad reason to do something, but I think you should at least try to understand why it did work for you. And, you know, in the hierarchy of like evidence and research, anecdotal always comes first, right? Like we, we have to, we have to do something first. And we have to show that it works and then generally replicate that over and over and over. And then later we try to understand why did that work? So a lot of times like research doesn't tell us that things work. They tell us why they work. And I just think marketing things in, in that sort of way is just not how I like to do things. And it's not my company. It's not my business. So ultimately, I, you know, if there was any sort of uh, disagreements there, I either have to A, accept it and just move on with it or let it be known that I don't agree with it and they can decide to do what they want to do with it. And then obviously like, you know, but in terms of training, like I, I think Ben brings a lot to the table. I mean, I think he just, he breaks a lot of the uh, sort of the like still like really out, like there's dogma and then there's just like outdated dogma, right. Of like going knees over toes and things like that. And so I think that for a lot of people, he's kind of dissipated that fear and that information of people like, if you're having a problem with your knees, obviously it can be many factors, but one of those factors can definitely be that you just have weak knees. So you need mm -hmm. to train them, you know, but yeah, it was never really a training issue at all. In fact, the whole three years was like, it was probably some of the best three years of just my career. And, and we had a lot of fun and it was a good group. And I think in the initial stages of just having the group and having the brand and coming into work every day and having that environment. And it was a very creative environment and everyone came and worked hard and contributed and had something to bring to the table. You know, I, I don't think you can really ask for much more than that. I just think some things just don't work out and you just have to accept it and move on. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what we've all done. Yeah. yeah. I think, he, I think he's done a good job. Like I think he's definitely broken down some barriers there and brought a message to the masses and, and stuff. I, I, I see him. I actually made a, a mistake like on a podcast recently where I try not to be negative about anything really, like in terms of people or anything like that. I, 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 I said something slightly negative and about him and I regret it, but it, it wasn't like people are like going to be like searching for this podcast. It wasn't anything big or anything like that. But when I came off it, I was like, shit, like I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have actually name dropped him there or anything like that. But, and it wasn't with regards to training, but like I, but I, I think a lot of people are negative. Basically, what I'm trying to say is they're negative because they're jealous of him and his success. That's very clearly obvious to me. But I don't mind people like 
picking apart some of the principles and stuff like that if they disagree with them in a measured and logical way. But um, yeah, I don't want to fall into the trap of being negative about someone who's definitely contributed more than he's taken away from the industry, I would say. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I understand like, and it's not to say that he's ever had bad intentions with anything. Cause I, I knowing from working with him, that's never been the case. I just think ignorance can sort of make it seem like that's what's happening. Right. And we all are ignorant about certain things, you know what I mean? And, and again, it's, if somebody comes to me and it's funny, cause we might segue into something from this conversation, but when you build your likeness around a certain system and somebody when you make a claim, the burden of proof is on you, right? Like that's how it works. So if, if, if I were to assert some claim, then if somebody questions that claim, it's on me to provide proof as to how I came to that conclusion and was able to assert that statement, right? And I think that the issue that people have is not with necessarily him or the methods. It's his inability to come to the table and bear the burden of proof when it comes to some of the things that he talks about, whether it's because he doesn't actually understand it. And again, sometimes like that's okay, right? Like we've like fitness and a lot of things have progressed rapidly in this world because, and, and we didn't really understand why it was the way it was initially. And so I think that's the issue that a lot of people have, right? Is it's like, and, and just the lack of, of context and nuance sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, working online, it is hard to like add context to everything. And, and you know, like these big one-liners and these statements, like that's what draws a lot of attention. So I think you just have to be careful of getting caught in the trap and, and just be willing to provide context, but also just be willing to bear the burden of proof when, when it's asked. And I think the attitude historically has been block people, delete people. I think there's a difference between just being negative and hating and then just genuinely like challenging an idea because there are holes in the idea that, you know, are that are kind of falling apart. And I think that's the main issue. Like if somebody were to come to me and, and address me on a statement or principles that I've made or support, I'm going to argue it and I'm going to give you at least how I came to that conclusion. And I just, it can be time consuming sometimes, but that's the, that's the crown you wear. You know what I mean? When you, when you rise to that level of, you know, we'll just say fame for the sake of it or popularity, you wear a heavy crown. And so instead of sitting around bitching and moaning, like, oh, it takes time to explain, like, that's just the crown you wear. I mean, that's just, that's, that's the position that you've taken. Like you can't be king of the castle and then not expect to be questioned about your decisions, whether they work or whether they don't work, especially when they don't work, but even when they work, you know what I mean? And I think that's the other thing too. I think I've, people tend to fall in the trap and tend to want to take responsibility for things when things are going right and when things are successfully working. But then when things don't work for certain people or work for certain populations, all of a sudden now you're not taking responsibility for those things. I think that's also kind of what's rubbed people the wrong way, you know, because it's great that it's worked for this person and that person and, and whatever, but for the person it doesn't, it hasn't worked for it. And they come to you and they say, well, it didn't work for me. And what you said didn't work for me. Why is that? trying to find a solution or, or just even saying, I don't know is okay, but blocking the person or shaming them or blaming them. That's not the attitude in my opinion to take. And so I just think those are some of the things that not, not just him, but many people will fall into the trap of, especially 
online uh, because it's just very easy to do. Like if somebody walk in my door and confront me, I have to, I have to like confront that situation. Online, it's very easy to just block, ignore, delete, whatever, and move on about your day. So yeah. that's kind of where I stand on the whole thing. You know, no one's perfect and no one's got it all figured out and no one's got it all right. But I think if you're just willing to look at it and, you know, analyze it and address it, then, uh, you know, I don't think anybody would have any issues at all. You know, if yeah. you're willing to sit down and have the conversation. I think it's when people run from the conversation that it's like, it's a little, it just gets a little sketchy for people, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you want to turn on your lights? No, you know what? I kind of like the mood right here. I don't T- know. Turn, turn them on because we might use the video as well. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> this, this, this man is in his new gym. Yeah. We're, oh, we're there still, we go. We still got some bugs to work out because we have, we have them on motion sensor from when the construction crew was in here. So that way, if they were doing something and they left, they wouldn't forget to turn the lights off, but we haven't got them fixed to like be in here. Stay, stay on. Yeah. yeah, so, it's, yeah. so unless I'm like moving around, they, they'll turn off like every half hour or something like yeah. that. So anyway. Do you have, uh, do you have clients in yet? Yeah, I had some in, uh, this morning before I hopped on here. I have my own kind of client base locally that I've, I've had uh, over the years that are popping in. And I start training a high school football team in about three, probably first of December, three or four cool. weeks. It starts there. It'll probably really ramp up first of January when they all come back from kind of like holiday travel and, and just out of school. Um, but there will be a small group that will kind of start prior to that. So I'll be doing a, high, a local high school football team, a very good team, play a lot of nationally ranked schools. And they, uh, they actually are at, in the state ter- F- Florida state tournament right now, which is a Florida for foot for American football is uh, like Texas, Florida. They're some of the biggest conference, Ohio. They're like probably the biggest three biggest uh, high school conferences in the country. So it's a very good team. I'm looking forward to that. I like that environment. I like the, the team training environment a lot without the commitment of actually working for like a, a uh, like an actual institution, like a school or something like that. Like yeah. they just, you know, they pay me basically as a contractor to train the team. And so it's, it's I'm not yeah. like an employee of the school, but yeah, I love that. I get, I get that as well because I get, I don't get teams, but I get pri- like athletes coming privately and I get the buzz of then watching them compete and like being bought in, but not actually having to travel with them or do all the, or, or actually just yeah. have to get all the constraints that come with working directly. So, um, so yeah, I think private is the way to go with that. Yeah, there's a lot of creative freedom taken away when you work for those institutions. So it's 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 ideal for some people. It's not for me. Yeah. So what way? What will your training look like with with those then? With regards to so like your training is going to be different than most people's training. I would say, yeah. especially especially the flexibility side of it. Like, how will you approach even starting that with them? They're gonna start stretching. So we <laughs> I, we <laughs> it's plain and simple. We we train this team for two years while I was with ATG, uh, we had them there. They did very well. They stayed very healthy, which is, especially in high school, it's extremely important, you know, because you have um, offers on the line and things like that to go to college. So health is, in my opinion, number one priority for these kids, keep them healthy. And it's, it's funny because the complex exercises and lifts, and by complex, I mean like the Olympic lifts and stuff, you know, like years back, it was, okay, you did it like at the pro level, you'd learn there. And then it kind of seeped into college sports. So then you go to college and you're doing snatches and hang, hang power snatches and power cleans and hang clean, you know, all this, all this stuff. And then now it's like seeped into high school sports. Like 
for some reason, every high school kid thinks he needs to like power clean and, and do all this kind of stuff. And just from my own experience, what I've found is you take a bunch of tight and not very strong kids and you just want to go throw them in complex movements like power cleans and hang snatches. It's just like, it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. Um, mm-hmm. And I say that because I'm, I'm by no means trying to make the team like a, a ballet true, you know, like team, <laughs> but, but they should have the basic flexibility of those lifts if that's something they want to do. So it was interesting initially ATG because they did sleds, they did stretches, they did these long range, instead of deadlifts, we did RDLs. We, we did a lot of this extended range work because again, these kids, their ankles are tight, their hips are tight, like everything's just so tight. And when you're so restricted in your, your, your joint mobility and what those joints can actually accomplish, it's going to restrict your movement as well. And so we trying to get the kids to move away from, oh, I need to do Olympic lifts into just, I need to just get strong with some basic strength work, but also just stretch and open up my mobility for the strength work. Not, you know, not for the sake of, of, of just like being coming up a master yogi or anything like that, but I need that flexibility to transfer over into their training, which is going to transfer over into their sport. Like that's the application of, of the flexibility. So with that being said, we, you know, we did have linemen and safeties and defensive backs, offensive, defensive that had front splits, pancake splits, and just were flexible guys. But these guys were also squatting 400 pounds, you know, very strong uh, athletes. So that's what the training, I mean, the training will be pretty simple. Like for team sports and track guys, I like running like a conjugate system in, in terms of like having, you know, I say heavy days, but basically having heavier days and then having like speed days or lighter days and, and a lot of variability, especially with the accessory work. So I like keeping in the staple, like the best, especially because with team sports, in my opinion, not every strength coach's opinion, but my opinion is I have to support this, this, the athlete for the sport he's playing. I'm not trying to make him a lifter. So I use things that are the best bang for the buck for whatever purpose that is. Um, and historically, you know, that's going to be like a squat, a hinge, and some pushes and pulls to just keep it super simple. And then you sprinkle in whatever other, you know, I'll say remedial work or accessory work for whatever that individual needs for specific positions or whatever. You know, like a quarterback, I may not have, I still think it's important for a quarterback to have good anterior tissue strength and flexibility and health. Maybe it's not through a barbell bench press. Maybe it's through a, a Swiss bar bench or dumbbell bench or something. So there's little things that you can switch and change based on the individual demands. I'm still a firm believer in just, just get these kids strong and fast and big. And, and mm-hmm. I don't get too much into the sport specific. Like your, your sport is your, your skill specific work. My job is just to create adaptations along the force velocity curve that you as an athlete have to you know basically the adaptation occurs from you practicing your skill or your sport i'm not super big on like trying to make every exercise into like a oh this needs to look like a throw because you're a th-. like I, I think that gets a little off the rails especially at this age and at this stage yeah. of these kids like once you're on a pro level i think to specialize very very specifically like that is probably more worth your time but when you're like a high school kid and you're just weak just get stronger you know and just become more athletic period and, and then just whatever sport you play it'll carry over into that sport that's just my opinion and but 
I say that because I've seen it and I've seen the opposite of that too, where kids get too specific at this age and then they just aren't good athletes. You're just like, you know, so anyways. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just as unspecific as possible, I would say um, at that age and just give them, just expose them to different movements, different positions, different stimulus, different stressors. And like, there's so much time. Yeah, so many variables, exactly. And I think like what like you were saying with the Olympic lifts at that age, I, I would have no problem, like I wouldn't be teaching it, but with someone teaching those lifts, my issue when you like, someone else could probably get better results in the short term than you will get with your high school team for three months or six months because you can just smash them into the ground forget about any flexibility work forget about any movement quality quote unquote like absolutely smash them and yeah they'll they'll like they will get results but what happens a year later six months later like where you've lost a significant even i think i think within 12 months like a kid, especially that age when they're very, their nervous system is very plastic, could lose a significant amount of range of motion, like around the ages of 14, 15, 16, if they, if they go into that work. And now you're actually robbing them the ability to hit positions later on where that they will need. And as you know, like, not that it's impossible, but as most adults know, it's, it is harder to regain your flexibility than just to kind of keep it in the first place or just yeah. just get back some. It's not it's not that it's impossible, but it is harder. It does take longer. It's, there's a lot of factors why it's it's harder, but it it definitely is harder. But what people don't understand, even about really successful weightlifting programs and stuff, is that the the kids and the juniors coming up have an extensive general prep phase. So they do a lot of stretching, a lot of flexibility work, a lot of mobility work, and so it's there. It's there and it's usable. And now when it's time and your hormones are kicking in and it's really time, you know, you're like you said, your sort of neurological plasticity and all these stuff are starting to develop. And of course, like 15, 16 years old, now your hormones are starting to ramp up. They're not even ramped up fully, but they're starting to, especially as a male, you know, because we're a little later than, than women. If all that base is there, now you can do the work that you need to do. And you don't really have to focus as much on that stuff, but no one focuses on it. So when, when I, you know, the thing that I've seen in team sports is that it sort of is a free for all. And whoever survives the training survives the training. And if you don't survive, it's I'm not saying it's like this with everybody, but I'm definitely saying with, I will go on record and say, it's definitely a general, general consensus that if little Johnny gets hurt, Steven's on the bench waiting to play. And in team sports, there's this attitude that you're replaceable. Like I hate to break it to you, but you're on every single level, high school pro college, you are replaceable. There is somebody waiting to take your spot, whether they're your teammate, whether you're best buds or not, like they're waiting to take your spot. And so when you get hurt, it's kind of on you to, to come back from that and figure out what that was. Like, I hate to break it to you, but a lot of teams aren't going to spend an extensive amount of time trying to figure that out for you. It's, it's kind of on you. And so I just find that if you invest early on, for instance, this, this team had a few injuries and those guys lost good offers because of those injuries. So cool. Your, your power clean numbers went fucking up, but you're not healthy. So you lost offers. And I I want kids to just under like anybody to understand that. Like, again, it's high school level that I'm talking here. So it's a little different than, than other levels. I mean, I would argue that it's should be, I've trained pros and college guys as well. And it's, it's the same issue, but you know, I guess my point is just being that 
flexibility is such a base of your training. Well, when I say that, I'm talking about the, the, the physiological quality of flexibility, not what people have marketed flexibility to be or what people perceive flexibility is as. Because when you say flexibility, people just think extremes. And I'm not talking necessarily in extremes. I'm just talking about whatever is needed to accomplish the task that's being asked of your body. And if you don't have flexibility in certain areas, your body will figure out a different way to go about it. And yeah, so that's, that's the, that will be a big focus for these kids is just, you know, and the other thing is they sit, you know, it's different these days with, you know, kids here in the U S like they don't have recess or, or PE anymore. Like they're literally sitting at a desk all day long. Like they just, then they go home and what do they do? They play video games, they watch TV, they, there's just not a lot of movement in their daily life anymore. So now you have to consider, now you're even trying to make up for all of that. You know, if the kid's not extensively active in a variety of different sports or, or, or other, other things, you know, it it typically tends to be an issue as well. So, you know, it's not that I'm against Olympic lifts at all. It's just that if you don't have the mobility to do it, and then you're wondering why your back and your shoulders and all this stuff hurts when you try to, it's like, it's not really rocket science. It's just, you, you don't have the capacity in your body to achieve these positions and you're trying to force it on your body and it's just not going to work. Yeah. So. It's even, it's even more reason to be unspecific at that age. The, re- the fact that like they're not moving enough in the first place, they're not probably going for walks. They're not out in nature. They're not definitely not crawling or hanging or climbing or anything like that. So you're being super specific to the sport they're playing, which is the only movement they're getting in the first place. And you're trying to replicate that again. You just need to give them something else. But um, when you, something I saw you kind of, I thought we had put this to bed a few years ago, flexibility versus mobility. And then I actually saw you speaking a little bit about that. Now, I actually missed, this is a genuine question, as are all of my questions, of course, but I actually missed the, the, the answer that you had. I just came across it and it was like you saying something about mobility and maybe that shouldn't be a word or something like that. But right. Give me, give me your thoughts there, flexibility versus mobility. So, okay. <laughs> so like strength, like endurance, flexibility is a physiological property that we display in the body. Flexibility is simply the measurement of a joint's range of motion or the angle of a joint that the joint can achieve. That's it. It's not in any extremes, less or more. It's simply the measurement that we use to determine what range of motion a joint has. So I don't care what degrees of, of, you know, 180 degrees of shoulder flexion is your display of flexibility. Now, some might consider that good or bad or whatever, 170 degrees or 160, like that's all still the flexibility of your shoulder joint. It's not that, oh, if you have 180 degrees, you're flexible. It just means you're more flexible. It doesn't mean you're not flexible. Like it's still flexibility. So the way it's been marketed and certain systems have made it more popular and certain people have made it more popular is that this is, this is the common argument that I see. Well, actually, so that's what flexibility is. Let's explain what mobility is. So mobility is actually the body's position in space. So when we, when we use the word mobility, if we look at the literature and the research and you actually define or look at what the definition of mobility is and how they use it, it is the body's position in space, period. Obviously, 
flexibility plays a role in that because if we're looking at joint position in space, we have to have a, a certain range of motion to achieve whatever position we are in space. I hope that doesn't confuse people, but that, that's the difference. Like flexibility is the measurement. Mobility is more of the relative positioning. So, you know, again, relative to the space that we're in our environment. So the number one issue that I see with people who market mobility is that they make the mistake of saying that, you know, flexibility is bad because it's, it's a static, passive quality. And then they say that mobility, that's always the argument I see. Flexibility is static, passive. It's unusable range of motion. Mobility is active range of motion. We can use it. Therefore, mobility is good. And of course, most of the time, anytime you market something, you have to have an enemy to your product, right? Because you want people to know like, hey, this is the bad guy. I'm with the good guys. Join my team, right? But the thing that they don't understand is, is that they just have the definitions messed up. And it's like, well, Jeff, who cares about the words and who cares about the definitions or, or, or whatever, right? Well, like, I, I do think at why at times people can get carried away with the meaning of certain words or whatever. And obviously, some words have multiple definitions, right? Um, I think it's important that if we're speaking to one another, that we're speaking the same language. And these aren't definitions because I say they're definitions, right? That's, that's the difference. Like, if you ask a lot of these people, like, what does mobility actually mean? And they tell you, it's like, where did you hear that? Where did you come up with that? Oh, well, such and such told me that. Or what, like, they didn't, they've never actually came to their own logical conclusions as to, as to why flexibility is static passive or how mobility is active. They were just told that. And so they just repeated that without actually thinking about it themselves or doing, you know, I say doing research themselves or actually just looking at what it is. So it, these aren't my definitions. These are accepted definitions within the clinical research and the literature. When you look up, when you look at the literature and you look at what these people are referring to when they say flexibility or mobility, they're using the definitions that I gave you. And again, it's, it's not because I said so, it's just because that's what they're using. So I'm going to use what they're using. So that way, when I'm explaining these things to you, when you do go to the literature, go to the literature, go to the research, we're speaking the same language. And now we have an understanding of what those things are. You know, I don't know exactly how it got to that point, but that's just kind of what it became. So like I said earlier, is, is flexibility is a physiological property of the body that, that we can display and we can measure. Within that, there's four descriptions that we use to measure those ranges. So you have your static, which is basically you know, non, not moving. You have dynamic, which is moving. You have passive, which basically just means there is no overcoming force being applied. Like you're not actively contracting muscles to move the body through certain ranges of motion, which, by the way, is an important skill, especially in terms of velocity and speed of, of joints, stuff like that. But we can also get to that. And then you have, so you have static, or you have, act, you have a, yeah, static dynamic, and then you have passive, and then you have active range of motion, which is just contraction. So there's just two questions that we have to ask ourselves when we're looking at flexibility. It's, is the joint moving or is it not, or is it staying still? Is the joint muscles surrounding the joint, are they contracting or are they relaxed? And if we ask those two questions, it will give us the different qualities and how we display and show flexibility, mm -hmm. right? So when you hear people say, well, all exercise is, is flexibility exercise, it's because it is. 
it's most, most exercise that we see like strength training is, you know, dynamic active flexibility, the joints moving and there's contractions that are occurring, you know? So it's not to say like, Oh, everyone's on flex. Like it's just, it's just to make people understand that the only thing that makes something a flexibility exercise to people or not is the, the degrees or the extremes of range of motion that they take their body through. And I think that's the miss application of sort of what flexibility actually is a power lifter and a weightlifter both have flexibility they both have it in their body it's there whether you like it or not it's just one is probably going to have more than the other like it's very likely it's just because they have the flexibility to meet meet the demands of their sport a ballerina and a power lifter are obviously going to have different levels of flexibility but when we look at those individuals and we look at what their range of motion is it's still flexibility it's not powerlifters, not flexibility. Ballerina is flexibility. It's just varying degrees of flexibility without a doubt is the unit of measurement. So when guys say, you know, mobility is, 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 uh, is, is active range of motion and, and static and flexibility is not, that's just total bullshit. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to say it like that, but it's just nonsense. It's just not what it is. And the funny part, here's the, here's the funniest part of the whole thing, right? Is when you actually look in the literature and look at how mobility is used, mobility is actually often used to describe an individual's passive range of motion, which is the ironic part. So yeah. when you, and the, expli the explanation or the example that I'll give is if you go see a physical therapist and you lay down on the table and they start doing their tests and their assessments, so they grab your limbs and they start moving them around in space. They're testing your mobility, but you're not contributing to that. It's passive. You're not doing anything. And a lot of times, if you start to do something, what do they tell you to do? Relax. Don't, don't, I don't want you to move anything. Let me move your joint through its range of motion. So it's actually a very passive display of flexibility. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is like, you can't even make this up. because So when you look at the literature and look at the research and you see mobility being described, when, when People's, when individuals' mobility is tested, most oftentimes it's tested passively without you contributing to whatever range of motion it is that they're trying to move that joint through. So again, mm -hmm. they're looking at what is the joint's position in space and how does it move in space? That's what mobility is. Your flexibility can determine your mobility. Your mobility is simply just a reflection of your flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. So it works one way, but it doesn't necessarily work back the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I would, you, I would have used flexibility in the past and then I would have changed to mobility when I think probably when the FRC guys kind of started talking about active Here, range Here's of motion. the funny part. FRC was that he initially labeled it as a flexibility. It, and it, it was like, uh, if you look at the initial description, my buddy Dan actually has like a, the original like sort of early stages of FRC and they actually called it flexibility. And then he later changed it to mobility. And I honestly think the only reason that he changed it to mobility is because mobility was the buzzword being thrown around at the time. And so people were looking for mobility, looking for mobility. They weren't looking for flexibility because it just isn't, it wasn't popular. It still isn't popular. It's still chastised and ridiculed. And so he just went with mobility and mobility was popularized because of, you know, Kelly Storette and, and Supple mm -hmm. Leopard and, Obviously, that had a massive impact on the CrossFit community, which arguably 
is the most impactful fitness community on the planet. If it wasn't for CrossFit, a lot of us wouldn't have jobs or careers or anything because they just made fitness so accessible and so popular to the masses. You can't argue that whatsoever. It is without a doubt the most successful fitness system on the planet. And so Kelly Storette was attached to CrossFit in the, in the birthing and the golden area of CrossFit as it grew and expanded. And so that's just what it, and because CrossFit has powerlifting, weightlifting, gymnastics, like it, that just became the standard. Whether it was even his attention or not, it's it's not. It's just that's just what was, that's just what occurred. You know what I mean? Whether it was his intention or not, it's just that's the way it, the direction it kind of went. Yeah, you know. So um, he was a genius. The, he my, mobility was like yeah. To put out people now are like trying to post videos of an exercise every day. He was doing that how many years ago? Like yep. now, I don't agree with the exercises he was posting, but like he was a he was a genius. Yeah, and, and you know he's changed his branding. It's like the ready state now, and, and funny enough, it's it's there's a lot more flexibility stuff in that system, and, and he's kind of rebranded and changed. Why he did that, you know, I don't know if he sold mobility. I, I have no idea, but he, he, you know, he's not mobility wad anymore. I think mobility wad still exists. Yeah. Whether he just whether he still owns it or whether he sold it and just I don't know what this the thing is there, but he has like the ready state now, and the ready state. Still, some of has some of his old supple leopard type of content, but he's also, from what I've seen and what other people have told me from doing it, is it's it's a lot more flexibility, like actual stretching and stuff now. Yeah. How so, do I? So how do I then? You you'll give me a very simple answer to this, but so a yoga a yoga teacher comes into me who, not all now, but if I was to pick one population that probably in my definition of like good movement move worse than any other population i i see it would be it would be yoga teachers there and i want to be like clear not all but a lot of them move really poorly i think um and i traditionally would have said like they have tons of flexibility then and no mobility i probably wouldn't have no, said no, no. i probably would have said strength i probably strength. would have said strength they yeah. lack strength it's yeah. that simple and, and people need to make that that like dissociation right is that the quality that people are missing is just strength. Strength. It's the, yeah. it's the ability to yield or overcome force. That's it. So if you have a range of motion, which is our flexibility, we now have the ability to access that in any, in any one of those four capacities, active, passive, static, dynamic, and yield and overcome to force in that joint angle. You can't yield or overcome force in a joint angle you don't have. Mm -hmm. So you know, flexibility is a tool to access range of motion. And a lot of times get our tissue to yield to certain ranges because they're like stuck in this sort of overcoming position where they're constantly trying to apply force back is to get it to, it's to yield more to whatever range of motion you need. And now that you can, now that you can yield, you can overcome. It's hard to overcome in a position you're already overcoming, right? It's like, it's kind of like when you explain relative ranges of motion, like when you, you know, you can't create external rotation from external rotation. You can only create external rotation from internal rotation. So the more internal rotation you have, the more capacity you have to now create whatever external rotation is needed. But if you're just stuck in external rotation, relatively, you're not going to be able to create external rotation. And I think people like really get lost in this, in this concept. And I think a lot of times it's our fault for not explaining it simply enough for people to understand. It's like one of the things that people ask me all the time, like about squatting, because I'm so against external rotation torque. I, I, it's like the dumbest concept for, for, for the human to sit down and stand up 
and create external rotation torque actively, like, like consciously. So when I say, well, people need internal rotation, then people start to ask me, well, how do you create internal rotation torque? Like, how do you create internal rotation in a squat? And it's like, there's a difference between relative positioning and the force being applied or created within that position. They're, they are different. So when I say internal rotation, I'm not necessarily saying create internal rotation forces. I'm just saying the relative position of the joint. And it's the same for this, but the same argument goes against squats. Like a lot of you, you know, you've clearly seen me quit pushing your knees out when you squat. Well, then a lot of people take that and say, oh, so my toes shouldn't point out and I shouldn't be externally rotated. And I'm just not, no, that's not what I'm saying either. That is a relative position. You can be in more relative internal rotation with your feet and your, your legs, you know, or your hips, or you can be in more relative external rotation, but you're not trying to create rotational force in the squat really one way or the other. You're trying to just go down, you know, yield, sit down, overcome, stand up. And whatever rotation is needed will occur based on your anatomy, what your tissue capacity is, the weight, like all those different things. It's not something you have to think about. And it's like, you would think like some of these people, like doctors and stuff who say, oh, external rotation torque and grip the floor and screw everything out. It's like, you look at the anatomy of the hip rotators above 90 degrees, the glute medius, the piriformis, those are external rotators above 90 degrees of hip flexion. When you break 90 degrees of hip flexion, the function of those muscle groups change. And that's one of the unique things about the hip rotators that not a lot of other muscle groups in your body have is their function changes as you change range of motion. Like a biceps role will always be to flex the elbow. It will never be to extend the elbow. That's the triceps role. But the, but the rotator muscles are very different because they change their function based on where the joint angle is. And the hip rotators are one of those things. So if you think about now I, I'm trying to squat all the way down, but I'm forcing external rotation torque, you're literally doing the opposite of what the muscle function is. That is the definition of like creating instability in a muscle fiber is, is like if the role of the muscle fiber is now to internally rotate and you're trying to externally rotate, you're creating your own instability. And so that's what a lot of people do. And I think it's important to understand that all yielding and flexion, right, is, is an internal rotation torque just by nature. And then all extension and overcoming is an external rotation torque by nature, but it's not something you should have to force in your body. The, the people that are turning their knees out, uh, like turning their feet out and all of that stuff, but they don't realize is not what they don't realize. People are doing that actually probably to find internal rotation. So, so you ask someone to squat and they, and they say, this is, this is how I squat. This is how I like to squat. It's probably because they can't actually internally rotate. So they go out into like, a lot of external rotation space yep. and now they have room to come back into internal rotation they don't yeah. they don't realize that and then the other thing is like it's when you look past the sagittal plane and realize all movements are rotational like all movements are rotational like right. the hip is a is the, the femur is is rolling around in the acetabulum so like i bend my knees and i squat straight down there is internal and external rotation right. happening without you needing to push in or out or anything like that. And yeah. the best lifters in the world, like to 
overcome the floor to to get out of the hole, you will see internal rotation. You'll see a yep. you'll see a push in towards the inside of the feet. They're not doing that. They're not thinking about their feet. As soon as no. you're trying to think about your feet when you're squatting, especially if you're going heavy, it's fine if I'm doing a, a motor control type of drill or something. But if you go heavy, like this, you do not need to think about your knees, your feet. You just need to get yeah. down and up again. Yeah, it's that's a good point because it's a lot of why a lot of people aren't strong is because they just they're they're thinking about too much, right? And like from a, even just from a survival perspective, when it comes to generating force in certain moments in reaction to whatever stimulus is like coming into us, we can't sit there and go, hmm, how would I react to this? No, like your body's going to just, your nervous system and how it, you know, how it interacts with your biology is going to like, it's going to react instantly. Like you tend to get in your own way. And it's like, sometimes when I ask people, like, what do you think about when you squat? Holy shit, the laundry list of things that I get from people up my back and my shoulder here and my foot here and my knee out here and my hip here. I'm like, that's why you don't squat a lot of weights because you just, if you've never had heavy weight on your back, if you can think about all those things because you just simply can't do it. And like you said, like these guys don't think about any of that shit. They just, they sit down and stand up. And that can be an issue for some people because they don't have the capacity in their body to do so. And so a lot of the industry is working around problems. So it's not even really addressing these problems or what I would classify as problems. I only call it a problem because you have a goal that you're trying to execute. You don't have the capacity to execute that goal. That is a problem that you have. It's not like, oh, we have problem. It's just that, you know, if your goal is to stand in a body bag for the rest of your life, you don't need any flexibility. You don't need anything. But if your goal is to astrograph squat or do Olympic weightlifting, I'm sorry, but you're going to need the capacity in your joints to be able to do so from a flexibility standpoint and from a strength standpoint. And you can't build strength in those positions if you can't access them. I mean, it's really that simple. So the industry is like a lot of these cues come from, shit, this person has a problem with X and I actually don't know how to fix that problem. So I'm just going to give them some cueing to try to get around it and and basically just hope for the best. And then somewhere along the way, that just kind of became the, the cue. If you walk into any gym in the country, in, at least in the United States, every trainer, lift your chest up, push your knees out. Why? Because most people have shitty thoracic extension and just shitty hips and ankles and stuff in general. So they're, they're trying to work around those issues versus actually create solutions to those problems. And, and then you don't have them anymore. And so people kind of like laugh at me when, when they ask, like, how do, you, how do you lift all the time? And how do you go with these intensities? And how are you never injured and whatever? It's like, because I build a base level of flexibility that I can now just, I can access it at any point. My body's not trying to work around anything for the most part. And, and I can just do what I need to do on a, a daily basis. But it's because I took the time for five or six years to really address that and make that a priority. And now I can, so no, I wasn't the strongest I've ever been four or five years ago, but I built a level of flexibility that now I can be the strongest I absolutely can be now. And knock on wood, I'm not experiment like experiencing any issues in that pursuit at all which a lot of people can't say a lot of people are beat up from just sitting in their chair all day let alone actually training at a high level relative to their goals you know i'm not trying to be like a world champion weightlifter or anything but i am trying to just be the best i can be right now in in whatever goals i want to pursue or whatever but yeah 
yeah, your I mean, body, isn't, your, body isn't, your body isn't fighting against you when you are trying to get into them positions. It's it's and like as soon, I think you're I think you're completely right. I li- I literally couldn't agree more with regards to queuing and stuff where people aren't they just don't have the knowledge or the ability or whatever to help someone quote unquote like fix a problem. And so they're trying to fix it during an exercise. And that's like you just you just have to set up the exercise, set up the squat in a certain way that sets someone up for success, give them the load in a certain position, like elevate their heels if you need to, all yeah. of these things. Maybe there's there's I, I've no problem with queuing, but like if you understand dynamic systems and all these things, like if you start throwing more than one cue at someone, like yeah. that's the wrong way to go about it, I think. More coaches need to study dynamic systems. Problem number one. Like if you if you studied and understood dynamic systems, you are going to be way ahead of the game because it gives you the broad scope of what movement actually is and how how it occurs and where it occurs from, like relative to our own bodies, our environment around us, and and how these things interact with one another. If you guys don't know what dynamic systems theory is, you need to go look it up and you need to research. It's not incredibly complicated, and you can understand it pretty simply, like within probably minutes, if you find a good explanation or video. And it is actually hard to find a lot on it. Like there's not a lot of people talking about it, which I think is like insane, but um, it, it, yeah, I just think that like the the study that I always come back to, I've talked about the study all the time and I'll try to make it as brief as possible, but you know, like over a hundred years ago, the father of biomechanics, Nikolai Bernstein was hired by you know, employed by the state of Russia or forced, whatever, who knows? It was like post-Cold War. So um, <laughs> it may have been a gunpoint, who knows? But um, he was basically brought in to study blacksmiths because after the Cold War, obviously, war costs a lot of resources. So Russia was trying to ramp up their production, their resource production in, the, in, the indus- in that industry. So his, his job was essentially to study blacksmiths and understand, like, what makes a novice blacksmith a novice blacksmith and what makes a, a you know, like a, an artisan blacksmith an artisan or like a master blacksmith? Like, what is the real difference between the two? And of course, when you ask that question, a lot of people are going to come to their own conclusions of like, well, one's just more experienced and one's this and one's that, right? And like, obviously, all those things play a role, but there's a reason why those things play a role. And so he actually invented the first slow motion camera. So the, the first like, slow motion camera that we use to analyze biomechanics, which they have like crazy ones in, in labs nowadays where it's like they can see everything and it's x-ray and they can see how all the joints move and everything. This was a much simpler version 100 years ago, but it was like a, called a pictogram or something. So basically it just was like a rapid and you could see the movement in slow motion. So what he, what he found basically just to summarize the, the research, the literature was the hypothesis was what was called the degrees of freedom problem, right? And so the degrees of freedom problem basically stated that the more degrees of freedom that a joint has, the less efficient that joint becomes because it has too many paths to take in order to execute a motor task. So basically the thought process was if we can reduce the, 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 the paths that joints can take to execute a certain motor task, it's going to make us more efficient right? Like, like the straight line, like if I can go just from straight from A to B, it's going to be the most efficient way to do it. And the, the more times that I can get it right there, the more efficient I'm going to become. That was essentially the hypothesis. Back in the day when they actually created hypothesis that they were trying to disprove instead of just 
just prove because now people just come up with hypotheses that they just want to bias and prove. But back then they were trying to disprove this theory. What he found in the, in the novice blacksmiths versus the artisan was astonishing. So the novice blacksmiths were only accurate if they took the same path or swing every time they went to hit the chisel with the hammer. So if the joints, the mobility of that, which again, this is the joints position in space. If the mobility path wasn't the same, they were less, they were less efficient and they were less coordinated. They would miss the nail unless it went through like a very few select paths. What they found with the artisan was that every single swing was completely different and took a completely different path. And they, that, they still hit the chisel. They hit the, the hammer to the nail. So what the study proved was that actually the more options that you have to complete a certain task, the more chances of success you have of actually, and, th and that is essentially what we call coordination, right? So any, any motor task whatsoever that you do with your body and our ability to, to uh, you know, basically accomplish that, that is what we call coordination. Anyone you say who's uncoordinated, they're bad at accomplishing a certain task. So they later called it, you know, in the research, it, it basically it was no longer the degrees of freedom problem. What we now understand and what dynamic systems theory supports is that the more options that we have to execute a motor task, the more successful we're going to be because when constraints start to come into the picture, we now have to overcome those constraints. And if that constraint blocks the path that we would normally take, we have to find a way around that path. And if we can, we become more successful in doing so. So a good, a good comparison would be like printing MapQuest off the internet. Like this, my friend Moses Bernard, who's a Cairo, this was like the example he gave me. And I like these examples because it's, if you can't explain it like this, you don't actually understand something. Was that a lot of people are still trying to use MapQuest to get from one destination to the other. And if, you never, you, if you're not old enough to have ever used MapQuest, God bless you, because it, it, was, it was a pain in the ass. Like, you know, you, you would basically print a route off of the computer, and that was your map to get there. If there was construction or accidents or new highways or anything changed from the time that that, that, direct, that route was created to, to present time, you were screwed because you didn't have the most updated information. Now, with modern-day GPS, it updates on the second. If there's an accident, if there's a cop, if there's a light, if there's anything, any constraint that occurs or, or comes to and, from, and comes from you trying to accomplish your, your goal of getting from A to B, if something comes in the way of that, it gives you alternative routes so you can still accomplish that. And that's basically, that's what flexibility gives us. That's, that's what strength, both of those things in conjunction with one another intimately give us more options. And when you understand that, you know, it, it did used to be think, oh, I squat 10,000 times. I'm gonna, my body's going to figure out like the perfect, most efficient way to do a back squat. But what actually happens is you figure out 10,000 different ways to back squat perfectly, not one specific way. And it's kind of like the Bruce Lee moniker, right? Like I'm, I'm scared of, of the man that's, you know, what, practiced one kick 10,000 times and then 10,000 kicks once or something like that. It's, it's not because it's because the variability in, in things that can occur now from that one task, you've, you've now created almost unlimited options in carrying it out. So when stuff happens, your body's not going to go, whoops, I don't know how to get past this point. It's going to figure it out. And our body always will. 
And that's what people call, you know, compensations or whatever. If you don't have the capacity to achieve a demand and your body takes what some people would consider a more inefficient route in doing so, they then call that a compensation. So when people are saying, oh, that's a, they're compensating for X, that's basically just what they're telling you. They're saying that you're trying to accomplish a goal and, it, and based on your goal, this isn't the most efficient way to do that. So you're compensating around. It. Now, of course, that carries its own argument because maybe it is the most efficient thing for that person. Maybe in, mm-hmm. theoretically, it's not the most efficient for that, that person at that time. It is absolutely the most efficient way to do that because that's the body's, how the body's figured out how to do it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do it. You would fail at doing so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, you know, dynamic system theory is amazing. And, you know, and then, of course, that's like what you're doing, right? Is like when you're, when you're giving people a lot of cues, I was like, why did I even say that? When you're giving people a lot of cues in exercise, exercises already have their own constraints by nature. The environment that you're doing it in already has its own constraints in nature. Your body has its own. So you have task, you have organism, and you have environment. Those are the three, like basically points of dynamic systems theory. And each one of those points can have their own constraints. The one that you're going to have the most control over as an individual is obviously your own body. When you start to cue certain things at somebody, you're now adding more constraints to the situation when that's the problem to begin with. The body has too many constraints, and now you're adding more outside constraints to that individual, and it becomes a lot harder to solve the problem of, in this example, is squatting. So now the person's like inundated with constraints, and they can't do anything with it because it's, it's just too much, and their body doesn't have, you know, like I have enough flexibility that if somebody told me to push my knees out, I'd probably still be able to, to figure it out and do it. But for somebody who doesn't have that or what, or, or the opposite of that or whatever, they're not going to be able to do it. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I like the, I like the, the Google maps or the GPS thing. I think what's important for people to understand is like variability is, is important. It's, it's really important, but like, if you're thinking of uh, an amazing athlete moving, they do have options. They do have variability and that isn't necessarily a problem. It can, it can be a problem in theory. It can be a problem for them if it's a very complex skill. But the best athletes, it's not that they lack variability. It's that they have the ability to, their nervous system has the ability to choose the best option. And choosing the best option comes from getting rid much faster of all of the other options. And they just choose the most efficient option. So like, Michael Jordan or someone taking a shot or like anyone, Lionel Messi, like a minute left in the game. He has all these options, all these things that he can do. His, his body, number one, can do all these different things or he has the ball and he can pass it in all these different directions or decide to dribble or all of these different things or decide to shoot. He, 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 he doesn't do this consciously, but his brain basically gets rid of all the options that aren't the right option at that time because he's done it for the last 30 years. God knows how many billion times. And suddenly it looks like magic, but actually it's, he has the ability to make all these decisions. He could have made all of these different passes or all of these different things, but he chose the right one for that time. So basically he has the variability there, but he also has the ability to get rid of all the bad options or the worst yeah. options. You, you, still have to know how, you still have to know how to funnel it. You don't want complete randomity all the time and not have purpose behind the variability. Like that's the, 
that's a big mistake even in training, right? Some people add variability for the sake of adding variability. And that, that in and of itself is not always the solution either. It's like, why are we adding variability to certain things? We have to understand why we're doing that. Because like you said, you know, like that context is, is a little different to skill application, right? Because, you know, when you're shooting a ball and you have to hit the corner of a net, like obviously it's, you want it to take a very specific path. I think I'm coming from more of a, but I think bio, it's the same. I think it's the same it's, thing. It's similar. Yeah. As the as the as the blacksmith thing, like it's the same thing. If you're you want the ball to go into the, that direction, but like my foot can still do all of these different things. My leg can swing through space in different ways. But like the end result is is I want it to be same. successful. But I how yeah. I get there can be different. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so yeah. What um that's that's an interesting conversation. What um, you can go deep with that one. <laughs> yeah, you can go deep. You can go deep. I I just love. I'm obsessed with skill acquisition and like I'm and looking at like when I when I look at an athlete like a field sport in particular where there's a very chaotic. When I look at some of those people and when you see like them take an option and when you actually stand back and like. It, under serious time pressure under pressure from opponents all of these things yeah. and you just stand back and think how many options did their body or their nervous system just get rid of in a split second like how many scenarios did it run through for them to make that decision and and, and so fast you can't even quantify it right like it's, it, it's insane it's, it's, it's done at such a speed that you consciously don't have any control over it whatsoever it's insane. It's, it's, insane. it's it is a wild thing to think about. It's like athletes in general, but just elite athletes. And like you said, like a good example is like a lot of a lot of guys can sit in an empty gym and shoot free throws and make it right. But when the crowd's screaming at you and the time's winding down and somebody said something about your wife and you know they you know it's just like all these different things are being thrown at you, but you're still able to execute the task like. Yeah, you're you're not getting distracted by the variables of 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 like what can occur. You're still maintaining focus and, and able to execute. You know, that's really what sets an elite athlete apart from an average athlete is when the pressures and the constraints come, your ability to overcome through those things without it affecting you substantially. Yeah. Right. And that's the difference between like a championship and an and, and a Hall of Fame caliber person or a world champion. You know, it's like watching Olympic weightlifting, right? Like world record attempts and gold medal attempts are not fucking textbook attempts. Like, like, <laughs> like it's still pretty much there, but fucking everything kicks in at that split second. You don't even think about it. And your body is just going to try to, it's going to figure it out. You know, when you go for the minutes, it's, it's just like you pick any sport and that's just what happens. It is. It's crazy. It's a, you should just do a whole conversation with somebody just on that. I mean, you could do a round table talk of just that conversation alone. Cause it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Give us a bit, Jeff, on your like your flexibility journey with regards to like some teachers that you've learned from and maybe what you've the different styles that you've because I actually think, funnily enough, we have a very similar we do actually yeah. with that stuff. And um and we have we have I don't think different thoughts. We probably have like I've been critical of the stretching stuff online and stuff in the past, but I want to make sure people understand that that comes from like a lot of people. I think people are critical of it from a complete misapplication ignor and misconduct. ignorance. Yeah. I like, yeah. like I, I don't coach stretching very much, but I also don't mind people who do coach it if they do it well. Number yeah. One. And I also think that people who are critical of it 
don't have a clue. And I, I think I could probably coach it pretty well if I, based on just some of the teachers that I've learned yeah. from. But give us an idea of, of some of that background or where, where who is. Yeah, I mean, you. so my biggest influence has been, you know, I've done like Eo Patal, Christopher Summers, Emmett Lewis, Kit Laughlin, Dan Van Zant. Those are kind of the main individuals, like if you, who actually understand flexibility, have actually done significant research literature and their own anecdotal experience training people in that field for decades like like kit laughlin oh and um also thomas kurz is another one so there's like six people that i would or the only people that i would trust with anything relating to flexibility its applications its research and and so on and it's still like there's a lot on flexibility in the literature a lot of people don't understand there's actually over like twenty thousand, i think papers written on flexibility it's just that it's a hard metric to prove that it has a lot of, you know, like in the strength and conditioning world and in sports performance, like a lot of the literature that you get for fitness is based around a very niche population, right? It's not actually applicable to most people because like, again, that's its own conversation, but just understand that like when all these science-based and literature-based people are like, well, that's what it says in the literature. It's like, it's so, it's like, it's so over most people's abilities and heads and it's most so inapplicable to like 95% of the population will ever work with it. It honestly doesn't fucking matter. But those are the six people that I would listen to. It is very interesting because they all do have very different sort of mm-hmm. styles in a way. And so I've just taken the bits and pieces of all those different individuals. And over the past decade, basically that I've been exposed to that, I've found what works, what doesn't work, you know, what's works better, what, you know, or, or whatever it's, it's not a closed book. I pull from so many different resources. FRC, I've done, you know, like I've done some PRI stuff. I've done DNA. Like I've done so many different things and I just, but you never see me ever say like, like I'll shout certain people out, but I'm never like, yeah, FRC or yeah. Like, you know, whatever. Like it, it's just like what works and what doesn't work in, in context for me. And so those are like the big resources, you know, Kit Laughlin obviously has online courses. He has several books. Thomas Kurz is kind of the granddaddy of, of flexibility research. He did stretching scientifically. I mean, even in um, super training, they have an extensive section on flexibility and what it actually is. And they go into the physiological property of what flexibility is, kind of like I explained in the podcast. Dan Van Zant just does a, a, a shit ton of research. He's almost, he's like a, basically a full-time researcher. I don't know um, him. Who is he? Flexibility research is his tag. Um, oh yeah, I do. I do. He's yeah. like a Taekwondo world champion. And, and yeah, I think Taekwondo, I could totally have met. It might be, uh, he might, whatever a martial arts. He's martial very, arts. Excited, <laughs> yeah. A martial arts that he's black belt in. And, you know, Emmett Lewis has been in, in circus and acrobatics and gymnastics, but a lot of people don't realize that Emmett also has an extensive amount of knowledge in traditional strength and conditioning. Good solid Kit, Irish man. Yes. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, Kit Laughlin also, mostly known for his flexibility, but he's also uh, was an Olympic weightlifter and endurance runner. He's a director. He directed a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's a researcher. Uh, he's got his PhD. You know I mean? Like these are very well studied, but like the reason why I like most of these guys is because they're not on one side of the coin or the other. Yeah. They have an extensive amount of, and it's hard to do. I will give them, I will say that for people who are like, I don't have time to do research and sit and read and whatever. It is hard to do both. But somehow these individuals found a good middle ground between good application 
and good literature and good research and good study. Those are pretty much the only six people that I would, I would ever listen to regarding flexibility. Kind of like you said earlier, I, I think that the bad taste in most people's mouth is just horrible, horribly applied context with flexibility, you know, yeah. and, and it's, that's going to be a, that's going to be bad for anything, you know, but yeah. the, the weird thing is that it, it, they don't necessarily return the fit. Like for instance, an example I'll give is a lot of people like to cite a, cite a study about stretching is bad for you because they did a study where they basically stretched your hamstrings, like did a static passive stretch of hamstrings for like five minutes or something like that. Uh, and I like long stretches, but again, it's all about context. So they did it. And then there was not even like 10 or 15 seconds. And then they immediately performed like 50 meter or hundred meter sprints or something like that. And, and the loss, the loss of, of speed was like two tenths of a second. And I made a post about this because the only time two tenths of a second is going to matter is if you are running for a fucking gold medal in the Olympics. Like I think Usain Bolt holds the world record by literally two tenths of a second. But Usain Bolt also doesn't stretch his hamstrings for five minutes immediately before he runs. He does stretch. Like most, most actually good athletes do some form of stretching. But it's when and where and why. It's, it's not like, oh, stretch the primary muscle group that you're going to use in a max effort activity and, and fatigue that muscle group right before you go and do the activity. So it's like, that's a horribly designed study. That study was literally set up to fail. Like yeah. it's, and, and, and let's say, again, I, sometimes I have people like they'll stretch their quads or something before they squat, even though they're going to use their quads when they're squatting. There's also a lot of literature that suggests that any sort of dynamic movement that involves any kind of contraction sort of negates the negative effects to some degree of any static passive stretching anyway. So that that's its own thing. But so basically any activity that you go to do, if you follow static passive stretching up with some sort of dynamic activity, it will negate the effect of, of whatever potential negative effects could have occurred, but mm -hmm. that's a bad design study, but yeah. you're never going to see them. You're never going to see these guys go, well, I wonder what happens if I do a 20 rep, 20 rep max deadlift and then go and immediately do a hundred meter squat. Well, you know, you're going to be slower, but you would never set up a study like that with strength training. So why would you set up a study like that with flexibility training? It's just like, it's, it's moronic. It's just stupid because it's just not how you would use it. it that's not how you would use a deadlift either. Yeah. It's just fatigue. That, like it's just, it's just fatigue. Like it's, fatigue it, is a, it, is, it is a low, I mean, depending on where you're at in your range of motion, it is a low intensity eccentric load. So mm -hmm. of course there's going to be muscle tendon fatigue and Golgi. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of things that are going to like, and who knows? Well, actually we do know, but if, if they would have probably just waited two or three minutes and then done it, they probably would have had no loss in power, no loss in speed. If yeah. they would have just let the muscle recover. But, yeah. but that's what I mean is you see a lot of these guys pull shit like that. They pick out these studies and they go, even Lane Norton, like a guy that I, I, I can respect for a lot of his, um, like his nutrition research. He did the same shit where he pulled this study and said, see, there's no need to stretch. And it's like, no, like it's, but, but again, if you reverse that same method back to them on how they deliver, it, of course they'd be like, well, that's a stupid way to do it. You know what I mean? And, but, the, mm -hmm. but they don't, but I don't know. Anyways, it's, it's very frustrating. It's very, yeah. very frustrating. Yeah. 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 That's like, I, I, I don't tend to prescribe a whole lot of stretching anymore. I'm more in the rehab side of things anyway, but. And, and like my, my 
my disagreement with a lot of people comes when they just try and blame their pain on like a tight muscle and that's it like yeah. i just and and so all they've been prescribed then is like you need to just stretch your hip flexor and activate your glutes and i don't have that much of a that many qualms with stretching but like that's just terrible that's yeah. just reductionist thinking full stop that's what i have yeah, a problem yeah, yeah. with and yeah i i just like getting people moving and all of this stuff but like but anybody anybody worth their weight in, in salt or gold or whatever the, the saying is <laughs> like if, if somebody if somebody understands it they're not going to use it like that like mm -hmm. if somebody had a shoulder injury i'm not just going to look at them and go well i guess you should stretch your shoulder out like could it could it absolutely be a part of the solution sure but it's not like you said it's not the like reductive like why is the shoulder tight you know what i mean like mm -hmm. of course it's, it's just a tool that we can use again to accomplish a certain goal yeah the same way you use breathing and you know constraint-based positions and isometrics like at some point and and the the biggest gap in the industry with systems that i find is their inability to convert or correlate back into what the original goal was mm -hmm. and so what happens a lot of times whether it be pri or DNS or FRC or any of these other damn system globality or whatever. What they fail to do is get the individual back to what the original goal was. Somebody comes to me for squatting and I'm an FRC practitioner. I say, well, we're going to do cars and pails, rails. And I lack understanding of how to actually apply that to what the original person's goal is. So then I sometimes deceptively, sometimes not then reorient that person to think that they no longer need to have that goal and we need to change it to what I'm doing because I know like I can make you really good at cars and I can make you really good. And I'm just, I'm not picking on FRC. I'm just using it as an example because it's very popular and not all FRC practitioners are like this, but a lot are like the majority are going to be because a lot of people just fail to be able to use their fucking brains, I guess. I don't know, or analyze information and, and apply it correctly, but that's what they'll do. Well, uh, like, do I actually know if cars is going to make you better at squatting? Like, can I actually correlate what I'm doing here back to, you know, over here? And, and if I can't, well, then what do I do? Well, the easiest way to mask it is just create a system where now you just do this. And if I make you really good at cars, I'm making you feel like you're accomplishing something. And sure, maybe you are accomplishing something and maybe you do feel better or whatever. That's because you never tried to integrate back into what the original goal is. So for me, if somebody comes to me with a goal, obviously I want them to be realistic, but I also, my job is to get them to accomplish that goal. That's why I have a job. That's why I'm successful at what I do. Because if, if you come to me with an issue, either I'm going to help you solve it based on whatever your goal is. And it's okay if your goal is changed by your determination. If you decide as an individual, well, I want to change what I'm doing. I want to, okay. But it's not really my job to tell you that. And I'm sure as hell not going to like, assess that or come to my own conclusions for you. Like you're, you know, most people I train are adults or whatever. So I think that's where a lot of systems fail. And what I like about you is that just knowing your work and stuff is you've done a very good job at taking a lot of the principles and concepts that you've learned in other systems or even have come up with yourself and get it so that people can get back to whatever the hell it is that they were doing. You know, it's like, a lot of PR, everything becomes a fucking PRI exercise. Everything has to be done with all these constraints and everything has to be fixed and done. Like that's you, like why that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. And most people are going to get bored. You know, it's like, if you want to be a weightlifter, whether I think it's a smart idea or not, 
I'm going to say, let's make you the best we can, you know? And, and yeah. if you have problems accomplishing that, why is that? And I think that's just yeah. where a lot of, again, that's not to beat a dead that, horse. But that's, that, that's the difference between a, a coach and like just a, a trainer, like a coach is yeah. actually someone who is coaching someone and using the tools that they have available to them. I think, yeah. but that's where I think people would learn a lot more lessons if they actually now everyone isn't doing this but like rehab teaches you that lesson very quickly because if i have an athlete that comes to me who's torn his hamstring and i have ideas around like it needs to be done your rehab needs to be done this way and everyone has their bias and bias is is a good thing because it allows me do something but if i get someone back to sprinting and they're they tear their hamstring again like that rehab did not work it didn't work no, rehab should not be a continual process. And most people's training becomes a series of more either, you know, to some degree, regress or advanced rehab. Most people mm-hmm. actually don't. We're not these fragile people and being like our bodies are very adaptable to things. And if it is a serious problem, if you can't get people to do whatever the hell it is they want to do with their body. And if you just look along the spectrum of athletics and physical arts, People can do some pretty freaking incredible things with their bodies. So the yeah. fact that people have such this restricted mindset that, oh, this thing is my body can't do or, or, or it shouldn't do this or, or these problems keep occurring. You're right. Like the rehab process did not work. And I think that one of the one of the biggest up, one ups that kind of I got in my sort of training history and career was working for a physical par- a physical therapist and a very good manual therapist for an extensive amount of time, I learned a lot, but I also worked with a population that was an extremely regressed population. And if you can't work with those people, you're missing out on like 90, you're missing out on a lot of income and money. And because that's my bread and butter is just normal people who want to do normal things and get out of pain and get out of discomfort and just do whatever it is they want to do. And these people that have this hard on for only wanting to train athletes and like, those guys are pretty good at working around a lot of things already because their their body's IQ and, and, and their aptitude for movement and skill development stuff is very high. You can throw the kitchen sink at a lot of those people. And as long as there's some variability, they're going to move around. It's like when somebody is in a really regressed state and just doing this hurts their shoulder, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people don't, they don't know. They, they don't know what to do. They, and mm-hmm. they, they just shy away from those individuals, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. Yeah. yeah if people I, aren't I, getting better or getting back to their goal, what are you actually doing? Yeah. But that's what, that, that's what, that's what allows you to like use different parts of the systems and stuff like that. And, and like, and, and fit it into your own model, I suppose. But, and I, I yeah. really like people like learning from people who are really deeply immersed into one system and that's what they do. I, I really like that. And I appreciate some like smart people. And I think it's cool that, they can appreciate this is what I enjoy doing and this is how I enjoy sure. working. But the issue becomes then when they just, if they, now a lot of those top people actually don't do this, but they'll project that system onto someone else and you only need to do this now. Whereas if I love doing a system, I can work with someone while that system benefits them, but yep. then I'm going to pass them off to someone like you if they want to get back to doing something else. You know, I'll know when my time is up with that person rather than trying to change the goal from squatting or doing Olympic weightlifting or whatever to now just always doing something that I want to do. I don't think you could have made a better point. And I think it's important for a lot of coaches and practitioners to understand that you're stronger with a good network. 
there, there, there are, there is no shortage of people out here looking for training with issues, looking to solve these problems. And we're all going to develop our own bias. And through those bias, we're going to develop our own niche. And we're going to become very selective about certain things. Like you said, it's when you start to project as like, this is the way, the truth and the light and the only way mm-hmm. that it becomes a little problematic. And I think that's where certain people start to, you know, tend to get pushback from other people in the industry is like, well, if you're fixing these and David Gray's fixing these and Jess fixing these, and it's like, everybody can do that. It, it you know, and, and they all kind of have their own different ways or whatever, but it's like, it's, and yeah, like maybe statistically one of us is better than the other or whatever. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of a funny conversation too, but um, you know, it, it's yeah. A hundred percent. Like, yeah, there's no, I way. thrive on having a network of people. Like if you don't want to train this way, I'm not going to try to force my stuff onto you. I'm going to say, Oh, great. That's how you want to do it. You should go, you know, you want people come to me all the time. I want to, can you add gymnastic strength training to your stuff? No, it's not really what I do anymore. Could I theoretically do it? Yes. Do I have a passion for it? No. So I'm going to send you to Emmett Lewis, or I'm going to send you to, I'm going to send you to somebody who can deliver that better than me, whether it's, it doesn't even necessarily have to be just because they know it. It's just because they are just, that's what they pick. That's what they like to do. And, and whatever, yeah. A, yeah. A, a strong network, you'll, you'll never be more powerful with that. And a lot of my business fortunately is from creating a good network and creating good contacts and good relationships with people and, and having a lot of referral, a, a, an organic referral will always sustain long-term way more than trying to run the marketing game and the numbers game of, of the churn of people who just get bored with fitness. And it was like, you can be successful with that in a very short time, but you'll find that people take that model. They have no sustainability at all in the industry. They have a hot few years and then they disappear. And it's like, where do they go? It's like, well, you just fucking ran out of people to want to buy your shit because you didn't actually build a good, strong network of referral and organic engagement and good relationships, you know? So yeah. I think Hopefully, as a business owner, it's oh. a powerful thing. Hopefully lower body basics will be here for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, like, I mean, but it's like, for instance, that's a great example, right? Like, could I try to implement that stuff myself? Of course. But you're going to be, I'm going to, you're going to just be, you like it more. You're going to be better at it than I am. So my half, it's, it's more valuable to me to say, and I've done it a lot. Like for people are like, if I, because I know your work because I've done it because I've bought it and, you know, and, and, and studied it and done, used some of it. So when people come to me and I like, oh, I know that's, it's a breathing issue. Like I'm going to tell them, I'm going to say, we need to work on some breathing. And, you know, because I fully believe whether it's strength or flexibility, your interaction with your internal organs and your diaphragm and how it affects the pelvis and the ribs that plays a massive role in both flexibility and strength development. So if somebody comes to me looking for that and I know the price point of your product, I'm like, man, just go buy David Gray stuff. Like just do that and then find what you need from that. And then you can work it. We can work it into what I'm doing and we'll take stuff away or we'll do whatever we need to do. versus me trying to come up with my own half-assed version of, of whatever it is, you know, and it's exactly why, like, I want to get, I rather them get it from the source. I rather them get it from you than my interpretation of it from me, because yeah. that's just not something that I want to do. And that's yeah. just my way of doing it. You know? Yeah. But look, you're, 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 you might not have done that in the past. Like you're comfortable with who you are now. And, and like, right. A lot of, a lot of coaches aren't, and, and I've been there as well. Like, but I, I'm getting We've more, more comfortable. Yeah. With who, who I am now and what I, what I actually do, who I serve. And then who I, who I don't serve and like, 
who I don't enjoy working with. And then I'm, I'm happy to pass them over to other people. Yeah. And uh, like, ultimately everyone wins then, I think, especially the client wins. So yeah, that's why I like you, man, because not because you refer people to my stuff, but because you're just open-minded and, and you, you know who you are, you know. You mentioned a few books, just people like flexibility-wise or, or whatever. You mentioned yeah. Stretching Scientifically by Thomas Kurtz, which I have there. I actually, yep. Oh, I actually do. Is this the, is this the original version? Is, is it the first edition? Fourth um, edition. No, you have to rip the first edition off the internet. So the, the one thing I don't like about Thomas Kurz in his, as, as some of this sort of bad literature and research started to come out on flexibility, he started to, to change his approach and his methods based on that when his initial methods were actually probably the purest and the best. I don't think it's actually, I think it's more because the editors, not necessarily him, but the editors decided to change the editions based on the updated research. Yeah. So he changed things like hold times and his recommendations on certain things. But I don't think it was necessarily his. I think it was more of just the, the, the yeah. editors trying to kind of keep up with the, with the current yeah. stuff. Kit Laughlin's Stretching and Flexibility is yeah. an amazing book. Yeah. Kit Laughlin is sort of one of the, you know, he wrote that book in like, I think it was like maybe 80 something. I, I, I could have the date wrong, but it was like 20 or 30 years ago. Like he wrote this book. It was a long time ago. I could be totally wrong. I should, I should actually look it up. Yeah, right there. There it is, stretching and flexibility. What I liked about him was his implementation of contract and relax techniques, but yeah. also his massive understanding of how important breathing is for flexibility. Yeah. You know, like you talk about, like PRI talks about and other things is like, you know, in, in, in inhalation is a, is a yielding force where, you know, everything eccentrically loads and our exhale is sort of like a overcoming concentric and you can strength train your ass off and you can stretch your ass off. But if you can't manipulate your breathing techniques to meet the demands or the outcomes of whatever you're trying to accomplish, then your ability to accomplish those things are probably going to be less effective. And it doesn't have to be like this sort of like through through sort of deep dive into like sit there and meditate and those kind of things. But just understanding breathing and understanding the interaction of the organs and how they interact the skeleton and how the skeleton interacts with the muscles. If you understand those things, then you can understand how to properly apply flexibility and mm -hmm. strength training and whatever, because it isn't always, well, this just needs to be stronger or this always just needs to be more flexible. It's understanding the relationship, like, you know, a lot of what you do of pelvis and the ribs and all these things and how those play a role in everything, because Stretching to solve a problem, it maybe just needs to be solved because your ribs and your, you know, alignment of, and again, these can yeah. go hand in hand, but that's the thing even for flexibility is like, if you just sit there and you fucking just overcome to a stretch, you're never going to improve your range of motion. And you might actually just make it worse because you're just stressing your body out. And yeah, you know, that's, so one, of the biggest, that's one of the biggest things I learned from Kish was like, just actually relax and, and let it go. I was always, I always felt like I was a five foot 10 man. A six foot man caught trapped in a five foot ten man's body, like just the tightest person in history. And yeah. I just see people trying to stretch and like their their teeth are actually the FRC stuff. I like some of the FRC stuff, but I see guys like literally trying to irradiate like they're having the biggest shit everything. in the world. Yeah, and everything all the their time. Their necks, their jaws, and I'm like, that is you are causing like. 
bad you know, adaptations here. What, what people don't understand about good movement too, especially in the context of like, you know, athletics and sports is, you know, exerting an immense amount of force through all ranges of motion all the time is not an ideal situation that you want to find <laughs> yourself in. Really good athletes. If you watch Usain Bolt run, he's very relaxed. Like a lot of high-level athletes are very relaxed when they do their sport. And so it is a skill. A lot of people have to learn. You have to learn how to relax. And, you know, Kit Laughlin goes more into, he goes a lot into the psychology of like what causes these sort of a lot of this tension, whether it be stressors or things that have occurred in your, you know, like there's, it's again, it's its own deep, deep, deep dive, but which is only useful to people. Like if you really want to know what it is, but just understand, like if you want to improve your range of motion through stretching in in good context, learn how to breathe. If you want to become stronger in good context, learn how to breathe. Like it's, that's sort of the base. And so that's why I like that Kit really brings to the tables. Yeah. You know, he brings more of that in there. You know, Emmett's got his own courses. I do flexibility stuff. I mean, there's, there's a good amount of people now, but those are the best books. Those yeah. are the best books. Yeah. For sure. The, just one last, very last thing on the breathing software was, well, not even on the breathing stuff, but another issue I have with some flexibility coaches and, and yoga and stuff like this is there is an appreciation for, okay, we should be able to move our bodies through, uh, sorry, sorry, certain parts of my body through range of motion. But I now look at someone's rib cage and it is, there is zero movement there. Absolutely none. I look at someone's foot, no movement there. So if you're in the, being able to move my joints camp is good then that applies for every joint in your body, yeah. not just some joints that allow me to look really good on an Instagram post. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and again, that's a lot of people too, when they come to do my flexibility work, it's like, well, my position doesn't look like yours. It's like, I'm not a yoga teacher. I don't give a shit what the position looks <laughs> like. I give a shit of, are we getting the tissue adaptation and the neurological adaptation that we want that can look differently for many different people, you know, like, it position and that's the i think that's it's not again it's not all yoga but it is a lot of yoga again because they just don't understand it's a traditional teaching and passing on not an actual understanding of the principles or, you know like you just want it to look a certain way because that's what you were told it should look like it's it's not actually for any other reason other than that and if if that's okay with you then great but don't try to write it off as like this is the way it has to be done and this is how it should look and this you know it's like yeah it's just ridiculous yeah. yeah. Last question. This is my. This is becoming my question on the on the end of the podcast. So you're trapped on a desert island for a week. Let's say you can bring three coaches with you. So a dinner. I don't think a dinner is long enough. Some people ask this question with a dinner, which is a good question. But like you have a full week with these coaches. So who are the three coaches? Holy shit! This is actually going to be. It's actually easier than I thought it was going to be. I think I would bring you. Really? I would bring Louis Simmons. Might be a surprise there. And I would probably bring either Emmett or Kit Laughlin. Like for yeah. like you for let's say I can be there anyway. So you Oh, can you pick, can be there anyway. Pick, okay. Yeah. So I would do I would do Louis Simmons. I don't think people give him enough credit. Mostly because <laughs> his delivery on a lot of his stuff is not good. But he's actually a lot smarter than people give him credit to. Yeah, so Louis Simmons, Emmett, and Dante Trudell. So okay. if people who don't know who Dante Trudell is, he's a, a, a basically a, a very well-known 
bodybuilding coach. And I think he competed as well. The reason I would bring in, and I'll tie this all together. I like the concurrent method of Louis Simmons. Like a lot of these very successful systems are concurrent systems, meaning there's a lot of variability in the training. So I like that. I just like the, you know, he's had some strong athletes. He's been strong himself and he's overcome a lot of shit and built a very successful powerlifting brand or whatever. Emmett Lewis just knows his flexibility stuff. And I like how dynamic he is because he understands it in the context of strength and conditioning, as well as more of the acrobatic arts. And then Dante Trudell is an immense amount of knowledge nutritionally, especially because he deals with a lot of pro bodybuilders. So he understands hormones, especially guys that are on gear and testosterone and immense amount of drugs and how to manage the blood very well. But his methods, he's known for high intensity training methods, which might, some people might know as rest pause method or dog crap or whatever, but he was a, he was a big influence in the role of flexibility in bodybuilding for the result of hypertrophy. So he understood very early on that the more range of motion that you could take a joint through, the more tissue damage you could potentiate, therefore you could get a bigger muscle. And he was one of the early pioneers of the bodybuilding movement of taking joints and muscles through the fullest range of motion in the context of hypertrophy. So we know that hypertrophy and stretch-induced hypertrophy is a very successful way to grow a muscle. Mm-hmm. And he used, he was very well known for using a lot of passive static stretching intra, post, and pre-workout to access certain ranges of motion for the sake of hypertrophy. And I think all of you guys at the table kind of bring together all the dynamics of sport training, gait, breathing, strength, conditioning, flexibility. I think it would just be a really fascinating conversation, honestly. Cool, man. Cool, man. We might run a retreat or something. <laughs> Could you imagine? Ten thousand oh dollars per head for, people, for that. I mean, shit. People used to pay what fifteen or twenty just to go listen to Edo. So I, I think people would pay that if they got yeah. all those people, they would pay it. Yeah, maybe, man. Where can people find you? So you can find me on Instagram at the Flexible. So that's T H E F L E X I B U L L, and pretty much there. And from there, you'll find like I have a Facebook page and I have a a website that should be launching within the next week or two called it'll be www.strengthculture.com and so that'll basically be the hub for uh, other than my instagram that'll be the hub for everything you can basically we'll, you'll find information on the gym programs podcasts youtube all that kind of stuff you'll be able to find it all there so love it man legend well thank you very much i i appreciate the chat i appreciate the work you do and keep doing it keep pushing even when i'm even if i'm having a whinge about it about stretching make sure that it's not the Make sure it's not the overwhelming voice. All right, brother. 